Welcome back to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism, DIY, and of course the music. I hope everyone is still staying safe and healthy. This last week was rather eventful, personally with a family emergency, and of course um, how we're all kind of being globally impacted by coronavirus and racial injustice and so much more. But in all this uncertainty that I know I'm feeling and that everybody else is feeling, I'm just really thankful that in it all, um, some really positive things have come from this community that we kind of have going here. Uh, Last Friday, the podcast celebrated Juneteenth by sharing an Instagram takeover of some of my favorite black musicians in independent music, and I was blown away by how everyone chose to use the platform through the day. There was everything from storytelling to cooking to acoustic sets that all felt so personal and truly meaningful. The goal for me was to hand over the platform to artists and let them share anything they wanted for the day, and truly just so many beautiful things came from it. I called the takeover something to fight for from a quote from Finn in the sequel trilogy of Star Wars. Yes, of course I go to Star Wars. And the full quote is, I was raised to fight. For the first time, I had something to fight for. In the punk community, we're all so often posturing these attitudes of anarchy and pushing back against the machine, but what do we actually do about it other than talk over marginalized people and frankly, posture and act cool. Finn and the Rebels in Star Wars always embraced their friends and what they could do as momentum in their fight against injustice. Think on this other quote from my favorite Rebel, Rose Tico. That's how we're going to win, not by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. What I love are my friends' voices, their gifts, and pushing them to the forefront of conversations. I hope from Brian's cooking to Gabby's shredding and Gibran's incredible solo debut to Baby Got Back Talk's impactful pop music, you too felt re-energized with each friend's creativity and message. Thank you so much to Ash from Guilt, Stefan from The Big Easy, Baby Got Back Talk, Gabby from The Tulips, Gibran from Expert Timing, Renika of Mint Green, and Brian, also known as A Day Without Love, for all that you created and shared. Please, please, please buy these artists' music, support them on social media, and when it's safe to return to show going. They're truly some of the most gifted people I have ever known. We're in this fight against racial injustice for the rest of our lives. I'm so glad and grateful that we're coming together in this moment. We will always fight to save what we love, and that's each other. Speaking of people coming together, let's move over to this week's guests. I'm joined by a band who I've been a longtime fan of, and that's Bad Moves. The DC Collective has united their voices and songwriting talent to create an unforgettable record in their latest release, Untenable. Emma and David joined this week to share how the band writes together, their unified messaging, their hopes for their music, the details in Untenable, and so much more. So with that, let's hear more from Bad Moves and then get into the interview.
Awesome. Um, well, welcome Bad Moves to Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. How are you all doing right now in this moment? <laughs> I, I am personally feeling uh, kind of exhausted. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thankfully healthy and safe and all that. That's good to hear. Um, I am so stoked to talk to you all. You're a band that has gotten me so excited about music and like invigorated and energized in ways that like a lot of um, a lot of artists don't always accomplish. So this is really exciting for me. Um, I kind of want to hear first from you. When did you kind of each first begin to play music for yourselves? And maybe who were you listening to that helped motivate you as you were learning? I didn't play a lot of rock music until I was in my 30s. <laughs> um, I did like have a bass when I was a teenager. I took a little bit of lessons. I played um, cello in high school. Um, but I kind of took a break from that. And, I, and, and there was a period of my life too where I played kind of in other orchestral formats. I played some folk music, some klezmer music. I played uh, some uh, in some kind of like avant-garde music that was happening at the college that I was doing. I played a couple shows like cello doing that, but I didn't play in like a rock format um, until Bad Moves. And so, you know, I, I started getting into doing this because initially I, David and I were friends and he, like, they asked me to play cello on a, on a Spoon Boy, you know, live set, and then eventually on a record, and from there, when we formed Bad Moves, uh, I started playing bass. They're not so different from one another, but it, it, it was a new thing for me. I feel like I, I feel and appreciate and see myself having grown as a musician through the different recordings, and uh, that feels really good to me. That's awesome. Um, I've been playing guitar since I was 12 and, you know, have a little bit more of a straightforward musical trajectory than Emma maybe, uh, just in that, like, I started writing songs as a teenager and playing in punk bands and, uh, you know, did some singer-songwriter stuff that Emma was uh, referring to, the uh, Project Spoon Boy. Um, uh, yeah. That's so awesome. How did Bad Moves specifically kind of start to come together? It sounds like you, you both were friends and kind of doing small collaborations before that, but how did everybody kind of form together Bad Moves? Yeah, so I think that David and Dode and I had known each other socially um, but the way that we would run into each other and hang out, the three of us, was that all of us attended a karaoke night at a local bar that really the scene was like some librarians and their punk partners, I think. It's <laughs> amazing. Like, that was the kind of the crew, the punk librarian scene of Washington, D.C. <laughs> I wonder if that is a little bit uh, revisionist because I feel like a lot of the punks and librarians became partners through that karaoke night. That is true. People met at that karaoke night. That's it was, true. It was just like a couple of punk librarians and their punk friends and their librarian friends all mixing together. Uh, and it, <laughs> 
it, it, it was, I'd say the peak of it was probably like no more than like nine months or something like that. But there was just like a, a real committed scene around that karaoke night. And to be fair, DC does have a punk librarian scene because there's a DC punk archive that, you know, puts together zines and archives them and also and music and ephemera flyers, you know, and as well, they held shows in the basement of the Martin Luther King Library, which is the central library in DC. And, um, you know, Bad Moves played in the, did Bad Moves play in the basement? Yes, we did. Yeah, time, right? yeah mm -hmm. we did. We played with our now label mates, Light Beams. Yeah, and our fr and our friends Baca. That was a cool oh, show. Baca, yeah, that was a good show. What a lineup, man! Wow, yeah. that one sounds stacked. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So y'all met through this really awesome karaoke night that I wish like existed in every city because that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of us knew each other already, but that's like the place that happened weekly. So we would like, gosh, I'm a wreck. Uh, that was the place. <laughs> That's the place that we would like be together. Um, and so I don't know that, that it really explains how Bad Moves started, but it was a place that me, David, and Dode were. And I feel like David was ending the solo project, wanting to do something more collaborative. Um, you know, Dode also plays in a solo project called Art Sorority. And so there was like, I think a collective want to do something that was uh, working together rather than like centering one person and that was the initial idea. I don't know if you have something to say on that, David. Yeah, I think, I think that, that about sums it up. We were, you know, trying to do less of like a singular identity focused kind of music project. That was like the thing that me and Dayud had both been doing um, and Emma had been playing with me. And so we just kind of put all our minds together and shortly after Katie joined the band and was kind of the final puzzle piece. That's amazing. I like that you kind of emphasize this idea of like collective because everybody in your band sings, which I think is so cool. And it feels like everybody is super involved in like sound writing, lyric writing, and it really brings that collective energy and intention to the music. Um, did this kind of just happen organically or did you kind of make a decision that this would be your approach to songwriting? I think one, one thing also, part of the origin story also is that me and Emma had played in a Zombies cover band um, right before we started this band um, in which there was like five people and four of us sang like, you know, big Zombies harmonies, which like we haven't quite, you know, emulated in bad moves but um we uh we definitely were intentional about being like let's uh aim to have this be a band where there's multiple voices mm -hmm. singing uh you know in unison to the point that uh you know, this the specific voices blur into each other mm -hmm. um uh and that makes it so like you know uh the the gender of the narrative is mm -hmm. ambiguous or mm -hmm. you know like just in terms of like uh you know when you're listening to something it it becomes less about relating to a specific person and a little easier for the lyrics to just kind of come in, into you in a way that you could 
relate to uh, without uh, having to think about whether you uh, are in sync with that individual perspective. That's so fascinating to me because it's like you get to create this feeling of universal experience or experience that is shared among people of multiple identities all in one take, which is so special to me because it's like there's this unification of like, yeah, this is what we all go through or we've all been through something that has this sort of feeling, whether it's you can be that new music or your lyrics. And in a way also because you are a band that has so many unique voices, you're able to kind of amplify each other's experiences, which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it comes across. It's definitely, uh, you know, very cool to, to hear you say that you perceive it that way because we did put some, some thought and intention into trying to put it out there in that way. Absolutely. And it's like you have this way of being both impactful and also it feels like jubilant and like celebratory in particular about everything, whether it's like a moment that it's discussing a hard subject. You have this way of making it to me. It, it reminds me sometimes of like a protest whenever you have that moment where you just feel like super connected to everybody around you and you just feel that that positive feeling of like, oh, my God, somebody understands somebody gets it kind of thing. And that's maybe the like the upbeat energy that I get because it's like everybody in this band is like speaking to and playing to the same voice, the same accepted experiences, you know. And that's so freaking cool to me. I think that's a, that's actually a poignant and interesting analogy that I hadn't personally thought of before this moment, but just that like the experience of being in a protest, like which you know, at least Emma and I have certainly had quite a bit of this week mm -hmm. um the uh is the experience of coming together around typically something that's a really hard subject something that's like a dark thing that you're trying to address but the uh process of like bringing a bunch of voices together in unison can take you uh from that dark place into a place that feels maybe more constructive or forward moving mm -hmm. and that's the, that's like almost exactly how we've kind of talked about uh like the way that we try to pack kind of difficult subjects into music that can feel hopefully uplifting yeah it's like you want there to be some kind of catharsis in the darkness right like mm -hmm. we want to have music that touches on the dark and troubled things about our society and you know, the system we live under, but we also want to feel like we're not alone in it and that there's like still struggle and forward movement to be had, mm -hmm. and, you know, that we're, we're not just being swallowed and that there's some people there with us. So yeah, I think that's that example makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I, I went to a lot of protests this week around, you know, everything that's been going on with people fighting to defund the cops and fighting for racial justice. And some places have felt more forward looking and some have felt more mournful and some have felt more introspective and some have felt more cathartic. And I, you know, it was really amazing that in DC at one of the protests I was at, there was the folks that had organized a protest around, um, you know, called Don't Mute DC. That is about go-go music, the indigenous music of DC, which, you know, people should look up and listen to if they don't know about it. The, those organizers put on a, 
a go-go concert on a truck that was at, you know, went all the way down to the White House and what's now being called Black Lives Matter Plaza in front of the AFL-CIO building. And um, it was the first live music that I had seen in three months. Like, so the oh, amount wow. of, the, how powerful that was to be like in a crowd of people really feeling it together and, you know, singing some of, you know, Go-Go is all about doing kind of covers of well-known songs and with a percussive Go-Go rhythm in the background and people singing together. It was super powerful that way. And um, yeah, that, it's like people are seeking what they want out of the protest right now and people seek what they want out of music and in their life, you know, whether they want it to be meditative or whether they want it to be combative and uh, there's been a little of everything. So, yeah. That's so incredible. And, you know, we've, we've talked obviously here about like what your music projects and the kind of experience that listeners can have with it. I'm curious, I'm kind of curious from like your side being the, the writers of the music and stuff. Um, what do you get personally out of that experience of being able to kind of like collaborate and maybe even get those kind of like feelings of you feeling unified and like projecting stuff that matters to you? Like, what do you, what do you feel you personally get out of that experience and why do you love it? Um, I mean, I guess like I was saying before, like I've been writing music since I was a teenager. So to some degree that's like, just been adaptively how I've learned to like process the world and process my life. <laughs> um, and like, uh, you know, like the, for me, the question of why I do it is almost like counterintuitive because I like don't really know how I would live without doing it um but i know like we all kind of come uh like to writing in the band from like from different perspectives and different like uh impulses and what it means to each of us um i think ultimately like you know like if one of us like brings the idea for a particular song mm -hmm. um and we discuss what it means together and like uh have to some degree like a mutual understanding of what we're trying to put out in the world uh regardless of like who wrote the lyrics like it can be you know uh it can be powerful like when that that we put that forward mm -hmm. and like hearing people respond to it and hearing that it has meaning to people or like you know from messages that we've received from people who are like you inspired me to start a band or like you inspired me to come out or like you know getting new music during the pandemic is a from you guys is like keeping me hopeful and forward thinking like just any time that the you know intention that goes from a very personal process like uh like in songwriting whether that's like one person or collectively within the band to like a thing that uh is being 
experienced externally in a way that's meaningful to people. Um, it's like, uh, it, it gives you a sense that, uh, you know, through music or art, you're creating some kind of positive change in the world. And, you know, I think to varying degrees, we're, we're all like, you know, invested in that aspect of this band. That's so incredible. And I love that. And I think one of the things that is the most wonderfully mind blowing to me is the amount of reach that your band has been able to accomplish too. Cause it's like, um, I remember, and I'm sure you get, you talk about this in interviews a fair bit, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Like when you guest starred on Craig of the Creek, you were able to share your music that will reach like kids and like wider audience than what DIY and that punk will reach all the time and stuff. Um, what was that experience like for you? And how does it feel to know that like you had this platform and that you maybe have more eyes on you because of that experience, reaching more people than maybe previously? I think what David was saying is true. Like we get feedback from kids because I remember being 10 or 12 and kind of getting into my first music independent of my parents. Mm -hmm. um, and that really intense feeling of like self-discovery and understanding yourself through the art that you, you know, feel affected by. And so it was really moving. I mean, um, before we were on the show, the folks from Cartoon Network interviewed us and both David and Katie had been really involved in girls rock and queer rock camp. And so a lot of that came through in the episode from those interviews, which is very similar in frame, like helping kids feel actualized through making art, um, through the idea of self-expression, through being able to explain and see themselves through a different lens through music. And so, um, you know, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, we have a median age of fans that got a lot lower once <laughs> Craig of the Creek came out. And yeah. we always yeah. tried to play all ages shows, but more than ever now, because we meet parents who come with their kids and, uh, you know, kids who interact with us on Instagram and talk to us about wanting to, that they wanted to start a band. And it's super moving to me. So, um, you know, I, like I said, didn't really start playing in a band until I was older. So it's, you know, on one hand, it's never too late. Uh, and on the other hand, it's great when kids can start playing music young like David did, because it brings a lot of people you know, joy, I think, and feeling like part of something in these really isolating times too, like is, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. It was really great. I love that. And like, I think about it and, um, cause I think it's so important that young people in particular and kids, like, you know, they are so much a product sometimes of what they are exposed to and everything. And I can say for sure, I grew up sitting in front of the TV watching cartoons constantly and stuff, right? And how fucking cool would it have been as a child to see a band like yours just unapologetically supporting creative spaces, finding your voice, finding your way of expressing it and stuff. And I was just like, obviously the show is known for doing really awesome things like that. But like, 
I mean, I probably would have been a punk a lot earlier <laughs> if I had seen like these awesome people as cartoons on my screen talking about these things that matter and are like fundamental into being a part of like creative spaces and creative communities. And I thought, I just thought that was so freaking cool and what a great platform to have for a moment, you know? Yeah, I appreciate like also that like while like there were, you know, I, I don't know that for sure we were the first people to do something like this because like clearly there's like, you know, I don't know, I think it was like Kiss was on Scooby-Doo or something, you know, like there were like rock <laughs> yeah. stars animated, but uh, you know, like the, the version of that that Craig of the Creek decided to portray was the version that was like anybody can do this. Like you literally can just set up a shed in the woods mm-hmm. and like have your rock venue. It doesn't need to be something that's inaccessible. It's like, you know, uh, creativity should be accessible to all people. And it like, you know, kind of that like punk ethic of demystifying uh, the, the, the musician or like bringing them down to, to earth to some degree is like very well embodied in that sh- in that episode that we got to be a part of. That's so cool. And I feel like um, your band in particular does a great job, I feel like, of showing that it can be a collective effort too, to kind of like create art, to be um, a part of spaces and build them up and everything, which I think is amazing. Um, I'm kind of curious if you don't mind us talking a little bit about your songwriting process and stuff. Tell me about how you all approach putting your music together as a collective. It really varies from song to song. Um, you know, it, it sometimes somebody brings a, a full song to practice and then we arrange it together or talk mm-hmm. about it or figure out it's not working and deconstruct it and start over or like, you know, various songwriting sessions between, uh, like, two of us, like, sitting down and writing music together and, like, sending lyrics drafts back and forth or putting lyrics drafts out to the the whole band, like, when we're, like, trying to finalize the lyrics and, like, uh, you know, there, there have been some songs that, like, looking back on the final drafts of lyrics, like you couldn't identify who, like who wrote which word or it could even go like word by word a different person. And other songs that are just like somebody, you know, wrote and brought to the band and that was it and it was finished. Um, We started in the process of making this record uh, jamming for the first time as a band um which i know is one of emma's favorite subjects if you want to i don't think it's funny because it's like i my impression about this band is that we're all very kind of like i would say um maybe thoughtful maybe hands-on maybe type a controlling (laughs) there's different ways you can put it but like intentional like um, and the idea of like doing improvisation where it's like throwing it out into the ether without um, carefully crafting it is something that I think has been a little bit of a struggle for us. And so it, it felt like a fun practice just because doing improvisational work rather than like um, uh, music that had been uh, 
thought through to, and had four voices like really debating all the aspects of it and, and doing a little bit of just freeform stuff, I think ended up being good for us. And not that that became any particular song, just the act of being a little looser about it and freer about how we um, played, I think was really rewarding to me. Um, we would set a timer so that we wouldn't bail out when it got a little janky in the middle there. So, you know, like <laughs> uncomfortable, you know, sh shambly falling apart, like we wouldn't know what they were done. We'd like wait until the end of our assigned jam sesh. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, though, because it kind of, I think, helps keep you creative and accountable within that time that you set aside. It's like, yeah, we're going to keep working at this. And, you know, we might sit on some certain pieces and parse it through until we get it right. But it, 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 it's great that you kind of allow yourself that time to really just be creative and see what comes out of it. Um, do you have like a, a track on the new record in Tenable that's like, this is a perfect example of like a really fleshed out jam session that turned into something just like amazing? It really didn't, it really wasn't like we took the jam session and turned it into a song, but I okay. do think that some, that some of the songs, we ended up having them be a little looser in format uh, because we had gotten a little more used to it, not having to be a compact pop package of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, of like structurally, so. Yeah, I think that the jamming ended up being like more of like a, uh, you know, a, a process that we could then apply when we were taking songs that were a little bit more written, but be like, okay, now that we like know how to like kind of improvise and like find a groove together, uh, like let's apply that to this uh, section of the song. I think maybe, maybe a good example is um, Working for Free is a, is a song that like, you know, we, we like just let there be a little bit more openness and like, you know, let there be riffing and like, you know, fat bass fills and <laughs> chaotic noise sections and just like, you know, and I, I do think like we were a lot less prepared to like arrange songs in that way mm -hmm. on our previous recordings because we hadn't uh, applied that sort of uh, process to, to our songwriting. I love that. That should be like the new mantra also now. Let there be riffing. <laughs> there, you, there, there, there's plenty of riffing on the new record. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that. Honestly, this new record is fantastic. I, um, when I got Intunable in my inbox, I was just like, this is definitely going to be one of my top records of the year because it's just so dynamic and it has so much meaning behind it. I feel like even in the album title Intenable, it's like it feels like to me it comes across like this is indisputably our experiences and our thoughts and feelings and stuff but particularly about kind of the moments that we're living in lately um and lately i mean over the last even couple of years and stuff um how do you land on the name Intenable for this record and what does that mean to you it was a source of some debate within the mm. band, as almost all things are. Um, because we, like I said, we're just the type of people that are gonna like hash it out, and like uh, there, there are opinions on all sides. Um, you know, I was a, I was on team advocating for the name Untenable, partially because um, I wanted to center the songs around the 
but I wanted to find a way to center the personal songs and the political songs in the same lens. Like say, you know, some of the songs that are about personal experience and are about, um, you know, the changes and upheavals in our own lives and about our own identities and, you know, the cr constant crisis of capitalism and, you know, other issues that both of those are like in a, um, in a place that is unstable and that change has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, we need to have internal personal change. We need to go through things to grow and change. And also socially, there needs to be the kind of upheaval that's happening right now in order to break down right. all the systems that we need to, you know, redesign and, and re-envision. And so the title of me, I feel like, was a way to say, like, some of these things are just not able to continue as they have into the future. Like, we have to shake it up. Um, and, you know, the themes of the songs, I think, uh, of those two areas. Um, yeah, it's that that was kind of the concept behind it. I and I feel like it feels more relevant than ever just because it's like in I, I will say like when we were doing interviews one month ago talking about the like untenable state of the health system and about the dis racial disparities of who's dying of COVID like all of that seems like it, we can't continue this way and also like now and as you said for years and years in the past you know black and brown people dying at the hands of the cops like the, right. you know, all of it feels um, and there will be other crises in the future. And I think, you know, some people in interviews were saying, like, how could you know? Like, it feels so prescient or like, how, but like, this has just been going on forever. And the crises is modern constant crisis is the way we live. And we need to be like taking advantage of it in order to create good things out of the chaos. That's like what taking advantage of those moments. Absolutely. Because if anything, it's like, maybe to certain perspectives out there, by certain I mean white perspectives, um, this stuff feels new. But to people of color, to LGBTQIA folks, to like um, people who've been living on the margins of society because they've been forced there, this shit's been going on since the beginning for them, you know? So uh, I think it's not hard, it's not predicting, it's almost like surfacing shit that a lot of people have been living this whole time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the that that sort of like retroactive prescience that's kind of like assigned to some of the like more pessimistic themes, you know, that we have been writing about and you know, lots and lots of people have been talking about for a long time. You know, like it's it's only because these most recent crises, the you know, the health crisis mm -hmm. and you know, the ongoing crisis around police violence like they just exacerbate things that already existed. It's not prescience to have been looking at things as they were and then, you know, coincidentally because of the events of like society, uh, there's a greater lens and a more overt uh, focus on these problems. They were there and if you looked for them, it was evident. Absolutely. So um, I kind of want to dig into some of the songs that you have on Untenable too, because this record is fantastic. Um, 
you know, I, I feel like from the start, there was such, um, a feeling of like being understood as a listener, as I kept listening to each of these tracks. And like, I feel like the first one that kind of like hit me over the head of like, yep, this is real is uh, night terrors. <laughs> I feel like that one captured so many of the anxieties of sometimes existence for like marginalized folks and stuff. And it kind of, to me, came across like it was kind of pushing back on some of the privileges that folks have to like ignore um, a lot of the shit that a lot of people go through and stuff. But, and it also felt like I was being spoken to directly, which was really freaking cool um, with the way you did it with your music and your lyrics. So I kind of want to hear from y'all a little bit about your perspective of the song and what it meant to you. Um, well, this is, that song uh, initially uh, came from uh, some of some of Katie's writing. So, um, uh, like, but but we collaborated on it as well. And um, I feel I feel like it started from a place of like just like kind of uh, an immediacy of exhaustion mm-hmm. of like you know literal uh interruption of sleep by night terrors by insomnia um uh you know by like due to things in a personal life and like kind of like uh uh expanded uh from that point to to like be like this isn't a a feeling that is exclusive to these kind of like personal issues it's a feeling that feels like it's exemplified in this uh, political moment. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and you know, writing it, you know, the last one or two years, you know, uh, so not even the post pandemic moment, but the, just the, the crisis of the Trump administration and, you know, uh, as we were saying before, just like the the everlasting crisis of capitalism, um, uh, I think uh, a lyric that that stands out from that song to me is the one that's uh, hopefully I get it right, but it's uh, uh, like you want to find your salvation in meaning. Uh, meaning hasn't ruled here in a long time. Uh, kind of speaking to like the sort of proliferation of like double speak and like a lack of shared you know objective news sources that like people can have completely different uh viewpoints on the same thing depending on what sources they're looking at um like the the uh the like concept of objective reality has been in crisis in the past bunch of years Um, and like all of those things all of the ways that like you know uh, various aggressions and microaggressions against like uh, marginalized people you know all kind of build and add up to uh, to create this sense of like how how even does one sleep through the night, you mm-hmm. know, in these times? Yeah. 
I love that. And I feel like your explanation of the song just makes the song even more richer to me. <laughs> Cause like, you know, that's a lot of the stuff I felt like I was kind of picking up on and everything. And it's so important to be able to point out how um, this shit just builds up and like, you know, night terrors are sometimes like a symptom of a lot of anxiety and stress that you have living amongst all this, you know? So I thought it was such a, it really, direct way to kind of confront that because like for me I've I've had similar situations almost literally in a sense where it's like you end up with these kind of like anxieties that plague you and some of them it's like you can trace and some of them you can't and the traceable ones are the ones that hopefully we as a community can eventually start to fix you know so I love that your band continues to like point that stuff out and like working for free honestly that's another song that I felt that way about too because it's like um, one thing that you all kind of keep bringing up and this song, I feel like actually demonstrates that is about how like the crisis with capitalism and stuff, you know, that is such a, um, causation for a lot of issues that are going on right now within, um, both American society, but global too. You see this in other Western countries too. And I mean, I think it's so great how it unpacks the different areas that this impacts and everything. One that stood out to me was that's not a bug, that's a feature. I hear that all the time at work because I work in software. <laughs> so I like, I the first time I heard that, I straight up like fist pumped because I'm just like, yup, I've heard that before. And that's just one like microcosm of like a situation where that reflects throughout so many different like places, you know? Um, what were you kind of going for with working for free from your perspective? Um, so that one like literally started out with me coming home from work. I work at a restaurant, uh, and being like, this customer was upset that their garlic knots didn't come to them on time. And then they were upset that they, that I didn't smile at them when they complained about it you know to the point that they complained about a manager and like complained to the manager and like tried to you know they got their meal for free and they didn't tip and etc and like this you know anybody who works in the service industry who works in the tipped industry knows like you know people have come into the restaurant literally wanted a refill of water and if i didn't bring it to them fast enough have like uh you know complained to a manager like been willing to like put my job and my, the way I support myself on the line because they wanted a refill of water faster and they got it. And it's like, um, <laughs> the, you know, it, it, starts for, it starts from that place, from that place of frustration uh, and kind of like builds out onto like the system of tipped workers, how that's like, you know, one of the many ways that capitalism uh, you know, demands labor from us and doesn't recuperate us. You know, the ways that like, you know, business owners can have not accountable, not have accountability to workers. And there's a little bit of like a, you know, a detour from that kind of space into like the, the greater way that like, you know, uh, things like unpaid internships or like working for exposure or like working for experience, like the ways that like that privileges people who uh, have uh, the resources to, to work for free. Uh, and then those people like can get ahead and that is just like a way that like, you know, uh, wealth uh, 
and like wealthy people uh, uh, perpetuate their holding of that wealth and their you know power within classist American culture. <laughs> yeah, and it's a staying thing because it's like you see it again and again, and it's like it's how they systemically fuel their power and their wealth and stuff by only allowing people with wealth to have things like free internships and unpaid internships and like have access to certain pieces of education or certain jobs or whatever. And it's like, it's its own form of um, keeping people poor and keeping people unable to access the resources they need to even become close to the word equitable, you know? So it's it's wild. I love that song so much though, because I feel like it has this ability to connect across so many different um, lanes of existence that we all kind of occupy in capitalist society, you know? Yeah. I mean, Emma works in, in labor. I don't know if you yeah, I mean, kind of bring that experience into this. My experience is that bosses will give you the absolute minimum until people come and demand it collectively. Like that's how unions work. And it's also how people in their workplaces without unions have gotten things done. Uh, you know, it's like if they can pay you $0 and have the customer pay your wage, they will do it. If they can give you no health care and, you know, use the tax money that is disproportionately paid by low and middle income people rather than the rich, to pay the healthcare on the state, then they'll do that. If they can, you know, farm out basically anything to be off their own backs, they will. And, um, you know, I, I work with the janitor's union. These are minimum wage jobs. And then once people start demanding stuff, they end up being very well paid and have health insurance. And so it's like the money is there and like, uh, bosses will do the absolute minimum and in the service industries like in restaurants and in cleaning it's truly about the labor that you're doing you know it's like physical labor that is um, so I, I really that is one of my favorite tracks on the album too because it uh, if we were talking earlier about wanting to feel some kind of catharsis sometimes amongst all of the struggle that's one of the more cathartic songs to play and to sing um, so I love that. That was actually my next question was, was like, do you have a favorite track on this record that like stands out to you? So <laughs> working for free is definitely Emma's then. <laughs> do you have one, David? I don't know. Emma might have another one that is that, is that your favorite Emma? No, I mean, I also, I'm also a fan of Cape Henlopen because it's a pop banger and like that yeah. one feel like that one also it feels cathartic in a different way and in a very personal way it's like i like the super political one and also the super personal one about like self-actualization and finding your own identity so mm -hmm. that's the but with some some true sing-along parts i love that what are you um, i i mean it's it is hard to to choose like there, there's a lot of songs that i like uh the one that I like have kind of categorized as my favorite is Party With The Kids Who Want To Party With You. Mm -hmm. Partially because like, it starts with like, more or less like a two minute rant from mostly just me. So like, it's a little outside of our sort of like, collective, uh, you know, self-presentation. -present mm -hmm. But like, it feels like it had to, like that had to happen just because it's like, all these things that like had just been kind of like, in my head like sort of like connected but un like 
focused or unarticulated that like through writing that song and through getting to perform it, like it's like, you know, again, like a, a sort of catharsis, like that I was like, okay, I'll let this out. Hopefully like other people understand what I'm talking about. There are all these aspects of modern living that just drain you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, then I, I also like that, you know, after that kind of like extended venting session, we sort of all come together to be like, okay, but the answer to that is, you know, find each other, you know, find like party with the kids who want to party with you. Meaning like find the people who are like-minded, make connections. Um, And, uh, you know, it gets to have some kind of resolution from that sort of personal anxiety through like a collective outlet. I love that. I like that you talk about catharsis and connection a lot about things that, you know, you get out of the music that you want your listeners to. Is there anything else that you really want um, folks who pick up Untenable to get out of the record? We, uh, we tried specifically to also include, you know, moments of like joy Mm -hmm. amongst the, you know, uh, musings and meditations on (laughs) anxiety and crisis, Mm -hmm. um, that like characterize a lot of the record, but like, I think it's important to, you know, have uh spaces like the ones that described in Cape Penn Lopin of being like okay like you find a space for yourself where you're not like uh being defined by these external pressures mm-hmm. you know or even the song end of time which you know it's called end of time it's about being like oh there's always this kind of uh feeling that maybe everything is truly existentially fucked but the chorus still says we're still having a good time because like you have to, you have to make space for that in your life. I love that so much. And I'm really excited for everybody to get to, to hear this record and stuff. Um, so I have just one final question for you that I ask at the end of every interview. If you could play a show with any three artists or bands that can be currently active or you can bring them back from the dead, who would it be? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would be like a hundred bands for us. Um, <laughs> when we were talking about being in a zombies cover band, the other cover <laughs> band that we really have talked about for years doing is a T Rex cover band. We should probably play with T Rex if we're going to pull someone back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably just do our cover bands, which is zombies, T Rex, and. Um, Shania Twain, which we also <laughs> we talked about. Yeah, that, that should be the three. That's definitely the lineup for sure. <laughs> give I anything to see you. Yeah. I would seriously give anything to see y'all play with Shania Twain. I don't know what <laughs> I would do with myself. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be wearing the like you know leopard print jumpsuit. That's all I know. I would. I'd be jacking her style hard during that. Yes, that please. Day. I love I think it. All, I think at that show, it should be mandatory that every member of every band wears the leopard print jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Or cheetah, maybe, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for joining. Um, where can everybody keep up with Bad Moves on the internet? 
You can find us on Bandcamp at badmoves.bandcamp.com. You can find us on Instagram at, at badmovesdc and on Facebook too. Um, and shoot us an email or whatever. We're around. Um, thanks, Amanda, for talking with us. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. heard bad moves thank you so much to emma and david for sharing so much from untenable with us ahead of this truly incredible earth-shattering release 
be sure to grab your copy from Don Giovanni Records out June 26th. That's it for this week, but you can always keep up with Angry Girl Music at the Indie Rock Persuasion online. Find episodes, links, articles, and more at angrygirlmusic.com. Get in touch with me through email at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at angrygirlmusic. If you're interested in being a guest on the pod, reach out and let's chat about what you're working on. Pledge your support for Anger Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion on Patreon at patreon.com slash angergirlmusic. Special thanks to our monthly patrons Molly O'Malley, Kendra Mamula, Carly Commando, John Kitsy Kitzmiller, and Sam Zarowitz. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay angry and collect your voice with others. We can lift each other up and be heard even louder. Bye for now.